0: If you would go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter twenty. Exodus chapter twenty. I wonder whose phone I have up here. Is that Adam <laughs> make some long distance calls. <laughs> Exodus chapter twenty. We are continuing uh, through the Ten Commandments, just pausing to reflect on each one as they come in the Bible. We are, uh, of course, in the second half of the Ten Commandments. Oftentimes, uh, we we notice that there's a distinction that the first four are are primarily directed towards God, how we relate to God, how we interact with God, and then the se- the, the second six of them are more directed to how we relate to one another and to this world that God has put us in. They are no less commands and they are no less about obedience and worship to God. And so we see here in Exodus uh, chapter 20, verse 15, this next command, you shall not steal. You shall not steal. How you relate to possessions is an incredibly Accurate description, reflection, indicator of how you are relating with God. And so we see here in this command, not only is this a command for how we treat one another, don't steal from other people, but also how we relate to possessions. Don't steal money, don't steal things, don't steal any. Uh, item of value and so we see today this command you shall not steal now when I was a kid I I don't know how many of you uh, grew up like me but I thought I knew exactly what a thief looked like I knew who to watch out for. I knew who to, 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 to not go around, you know. I knew who not to associate with and not to trust. And they looked something like this. That, that you know, they, they look like villains, right? They, they're people who, uh, they spend their time plotting and planning their next heist. They spent, uh, uh, they're, they're just these especially bad evil people, you know, and that that was my conception. Now, of course, uh, even younger than that, they they always wore robber outfits and, and always a mask. And so when I, growing up, heard this command, do not steal. You don't want to be a thief. You don't want to be a robber. This is what I had in mind. Bank robbers, car thieves, muggers, you know, That is what I was thinking about. People who wore those outfits and and maybe carried a crowbar like Marv did. But as I grew older and, and grew in my understanding, I learned that sometimes thieves wear business suits. I learned that sometimes they wear blue collar work apparel and sometimes they wear church clothes. In fact, I realized at some point they look a lot like me. And to be most personal about it, I realized I am one of those thieves. I am one of those who are breaking this eighth commandment, do not steal. Now, again, I I want to show us this. Uh, but, but before I get there, I, w- I want to remind you that, again, how we relate to possessions, how we relate to, to money and, and uh, material items is an indicator of how we are relating to God. And so if our relationship with possessions is out of whack, you can be sure that your relationship with God needs some work. And so I, what I want to show you first here is, again, as my conception of, of a thief changed, it came uh, as I lived longer in this world and as I read more of God's word. And so the first thing I want to show you is this, the subtlety of stealing. Again, we, we may have grown up as a kid thinking of, of Black Bart and picking him off with our BB gun, you know, but... That's not all that a robber is. They're not just those especially bad people doing obvious, conspicuous, bad things, thinking and planning and plotting of how to steal and rip people off. Sometimes it can come in far subtler forms. And I believe what we'll see is that to some degree, all of us are, are guilty of this sin. So again, I just wanna show you uh, a few examples from the Bible of of what we might call this subtle sin of stealing. First, stealing a little from those who have a lot. For some reason, it is the the human condition that we say, Oh, they have so much. It doesn't matter if I take a little Uh, Exodus 22. So this is in two chapters. And this, by the way, is more or less, case law. Like you have the Ten Commandments. These are the foundational laws that you always look back to. But after the giving of the Ten Commandments, God will then give case laws. Here are examples of how the Ten Commandments apply. And so we see this one here. If a man steals, right, that's the Eighth Commandment. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it. Now, I was thinking about this, and and it would be so simple for someone to to, to say, it's not like I am going to steal their only ox or their only sheep. They probably have a lot of oxen. They probably have a whole flock of sheep. What's one that goes missing? So what if I kill one to eat it, or or kill or steal steal one to sell it? They have all this. We see again in Exodus uh, twenty-two verse five. It says, "If a man causes a field or vineyard to be grazed over, that is his animals." to be grazed over or lets his beast loose and it feeds in another man's field. So it's saying, if, if you're, instead of having feeding your own animals from your own crops, from your own provisions, you, you let your animals graze over in this. Well, they got a whole vineyard. They got a whole field of wheat. Ah, What's just a little if I take it? You say, well, how does that apply to me? I, I've never stolen an ox or a sheep, I hope. I've never let my animals graze in someone else's vineyard. <laughs> like I live in Chattanooga, I don't even think we have vineyards uh, in Ringgold. You know, like I don't think we we have those too much around here. But we we think about this, and and this is a temptation that we have. You, we we look at these big box stores who are multi billion dollar industries. Your your WalMarts and, and you know places like that, and you say, ah, what's the big deal if I grab one little thing. Or maybe you're at Lowe's. I just needed one little bolt. You know, they've got 15 cents on there, and this place makes all this. And that that would be a time we say, it's, it'd just be quicker and easier if I don't have to go through the checkout line. I'll just walk out with it in my pocket. They have so much, and I'm just taking a little. Or this could actually be the business or corporation that you work at. You say, they have all this stuff. They make all this money What's the big deal if I just take a few things? I don't like going and buying pins, and they have tons of pins. I need printer paper and they've got boxes full of printer paper. So what if I take, you know, a, a little thing of it home? It's just a little from this big company who has so much. And you could just, you know, add in Phantom, you can just keep perpetuating this, these examples of how we say, it's not really stealing if they have so much, and I'm just taking a little, but it is, it is. Again, these are case laws pointing back to the, the eighth commandment. Do not steal. Yeah, it's, it's a little compared to what they have, but it's still stealing. Next example I want to give you is this, taking advantage of the poor. Taking advantage of the poor. And this, by the way, is one that's definitely all through the scriptures. Um, but we see it first here in Exodus 22, uh, Verse 25, I believe it is. If you lend money to any of my people with you, uh, with you who is poor, you shall not be like a money lender to him, and you shall not exact interest from him. Again, this is just the first example that I found right here in Exodus. That what it's talking about is in those days... Uh, you, you very much had the haves and the have-nots. You had those with great possessions, flocks, fields, servants, and all that, and those who were the servants, you know, and, and barely had anything. Uh, there's a great disparity there. And so what would often happen is the poorer people would get in dire straits, willing to do anything just to get by, and so they would borrow money from a rich person, and that rich person, knowing how desperate they are, would charge exorbitant interest. Say, I'll loan this to you for two months and it's gonna be 50% interest to this poor person. That, that's just one example. We see uh, other examples again of sometimes you would have this poorer person, they, they, they need to put food on their table and the rich person would say, all right, you, 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 can, you can work for me. How about that? I'll, I'll hire you to, to work. What do you, what do you say to, to $1 an hour? paying them way less than the wages their work deserves. Why? It's taking advantage of the poor person. It's taking advantage of their desperate situation. And that is stealing. Again, this is pointing back to do not steal there in Exodus 22. Now, and again, we just see how these things may happen in our relationships and the people around us, how we may exploit their desperate situation. Another example of this I see is failing to return property or repay debts. Exodus twenty two fourteen. if a man borrows anything from his neighbor, anything of his neighbor, and the verse goes on to tell the penalty for what happens if he fails to return what he has borrowed. But I would say this is a very common form of thievery today. We, we very much live in a borrowing economy of, of lenders and borrowers. And, and, you know, that's just kind of how it is. You know, you think about how high house prices and car prices are nowadays. It's, it's hard to imagine anyone getting started uh, with their life without uh, incurring some sort of debt. And so I'm not condemning that in those areas where, Uh, debt is necessary to to move forward. But there are some people who who make this borrowing and the failure to repay a way of life. They abuse it. They borrow with no real intention of returning. They get a loan of money with no intention of actually repaying the whole thing. And again, I, I want to be careful here. I know there are some times that we have no choice but to ask for leniency from our lender. I totally get that. And there are even some times where we have no other option but bankruptcy. But there are some people who make this a habit. They borrow knowing they probably won't be able to repay. That things would have to go just perfect in their life for them to actually be able to repay the debts they have. And there are some people, again, who, who make even just habitual bankruptcy a part of what they do. They, they live an extravagant life for a while. Then when, you know, payday comes and they, they can't pay it, they say, okay, I'm, I'm going bankrupt. And then, you know, wait a little while and then I'll, I'm going to do it all over again. Live extravagant, knowing I can't actually repay. And this is a part of stealing The failure to return property or repay debts. The Christian should make every effort to give back what we borrow and to repay what was loaned to us. Every effort possible. Uh, It's kind of funny. I remember there was a season my dad uh, would no longer loan me and my brother's tools, you know, (laughs) like a shovel or a post hole digger. I might still have his post hole digger. But anyways, there was a season that, that he did that, that he would be like, Guys, me and my brothers would all get a text, guys, who has my post hole digger? You know, who has this table saw? You know, something like that. And I'll tell you, like at the time, it didn't seem like much to me. And there certainly was no intent to steal, but that was wrong. That was a failure to return what we had, uh, what had been loaned to us. Uh, But again, you can take that to to higher and, and greater levels as well. The failure to return property and repay debts is stealing according to the Bible. The fourth one is this that is, I would say, very, very common uh, in the workforce would be robbing the clock. Robbing the clock. This one isn't from Exodus, but I get it from Jesus and some of the parables he told. Matthew 24, uh, 48 and 49, he speaks of that wicked servant who says to himself, my master is delayed, and he 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 uh eats and drinks with, with drunkards. It, this is the idea that he says, Oh, there's a saying for this, isn't there? Uh when the the cat's away, the mice are at play. That that's our human tendency to say, I'm going to work very hard while boss is around, while the person who signs my paycheck is looking over my shoulder, I'm I'm punching away. But when when they walk away, say, eh. I'm going to take a little break, you know, and the little break becomes a long break and so on and so forth. A a 30 minute coffee break, you know, like all these. I mean, that's that's robbing the clock. Jesus says that is the wicked servant who does that. We see it again in in, uh, the very next chapter, chapter 25. uh, But he who had received the one talent went and dug a hole, dug in the ground and hid his master's money. And so then later on, his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. It, it is possible to be stealing from our employer by either doing very little work, being unproductive when we could be productive if we put a little more effort into it, or even by not working at all. You know, doing long phone calls or surfing the internet or whatever else. You know, um, <laughs> sometimes if I call someone and they answer really quickly, uh, I'll, I'll say, I just caught you playing Candy Crush at work, didn't I? You know, I'm just like, you're staring at your phone. I I, I know what you're doing. Maybe not, but it's just a joke. Um, but, but who knows? Uh, ro- robbing the clock. Um, this is something that Jesus calls wicked. Now, these parables, by the way, are about other things, other greater kingdom realities. But the fact remains, he's calling this type of servant, this type of worker wicked because they are robbing the clock. They are stealing from their employer. And there is one last one I want to give you. And this is one that my wife actually brought to my attention. She was listening to a book and a verse was said, and she said, I just heard this. And anyway, the fifth one is this, failing to give back to God. Exodus 22, again, in the law there, uh, coming after the 10 commandments, you shall not delay to offer from the fullness of your harvest and from the outflow of your presses. In Old Testament times, this was often called the tithe—that you give a portion of what God has given you. They they would give it to at this point they would give it to the tabernacle, uh, predating the temple. And so this, this is what he say. This is the law. You don't delay. And, and giving these offerings of your harvest and from the outflow of your presses. Give, give, it, give the best, give the first fruits, give, give the, the, the greatest portion of, of the harvest. But what we see uh, later in scripture, as I put up there in Malachi 3, is if we fail to give back to God from what he has so generously given to us, he actually calls it robbery. Malachi 3, 8 and 10 God says, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you, Israel, you say, how have we robbed you? Answer, in your tithes and contributions. See here what I put up there. You are are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And so I I again want to make sure you understand this. God Doesn't need anything from anybody. The whole earth is his. When God wanted something, what did He do? He spoke, and the world came into existence. I mean, that's incredible. You realize that all the gold and all the silver and all the platinum and all the precious cobalts and jewels in this world—that those came from the word of God. He spoke, and they came into existence. That is mind blowing. And yet God says, humans, my people, I have given you so much. I have provided for you. And to show that possessions don't have possession of your heart, I want you to give back to me. That's that's what it was about. And and God, it says there, uh, bring these things into my house. What that was about is it took possessions to run the temple, right? They, they needed animals for the sacrifices. They needed food uh, for the, the, the servants there, the, the Levites and the priests working. They, they even just needed money to buy the things and to keep up the temple. They needed firewood. I mean, you can find all these in scripture, things that the Israelites were commanded to give of their own possessions to the temple so that the work of God could continue. Could God provide it without the people? yes but it was an opportunity for worship. God had given them all of these possessions. God had commanded them to give back a portion of what they were stewarding for him. And to hold that back is what God says is, you are robbing me. This is, again, a breaking of this eighth commandment. You shall not steal. Now, I list all of those things once again, just so that we understand this isn't always bank robbers and car thieves and muggers and, and, and those who are embezzling millions out of their company. There are subtler forms of stealing. And just as I have found with every other command, the, the, uh, the previous seven commandments, I have broken this one too. And there've been seasons of my life that I would say, I was a habitual stealer, stealing employers times, goofing around, you know, eating a bunch of popcorn while I worked at the, at the theater. You know, we weren't necessarily supposed to do that, but you know, um, just all these examples that I look at and I say, "I am a thief," but I'm an adulterer, but I'm a murderer, and and, and I, I've I've committed idolatry. I've I've other gods before Him. I, I've changed who God is in my mind I haven't taken his name and shown it with honor to the world I've done all these things and so friends we need to remember when we come to this point and recognize our own sin of stealing that praise be to God that he does not treat us according to our sins why because he treated Jesus according to your sins The wrath that we deserve for our sinful stealing and all the rest was poured out in full on Jesus. The only human who's ever lived that had no stealing, no thievery of time, no thievery of possessions, no thievery of money. He never once did it in any way, shape, or form, or degree. And yet he was put to death between two thieves. But praise be to God, all of us can be like that one thief on the cross who trusted in Jesus, right? What did Jesus say to him? Today you will be with me in paradise. That's the same promise we have if we are looking to Jesus, if we're trusting in his payment, his resurrection from the dead, that that life can come to us. We can have forgiveness of sins, relationship with God. Praise be to God that Jesus has died for robbers like you and like me. This is very good News. Now, in Jesus, we do have full forgiveness of all our sins, including that of stealing. But we want to live for God, not just be forgiven by God, right? We want to live for him. And that means we not only need to be forgiven of our trespasses, we need to be cleansed. We need to be freed of of committing them in our everyday life. And so that means we need to get to the heart of the issue. Why is it that we would steal in the first place? What's going on inside of us that says, I want that. I'm going to take it, even though it is not mine. This is uh, number two in your notes. The discontentment of stealing Now, we could call this hard issue many things. We could call it a lack of faith in God. We could call it a lack of adoration of God. But today I want to show you the discontentment of stealing because ultimately when we steal, it reveals discontentment in God. When we steal, it reveals our discontentment in God. Stealing says God... You have provided everything that I possess, but it's not enough. So I'm going to sinfully take more. Stealing says, God, I know that you have promised to provide everything that I need for the future, everything I need for life and godliness, but I don't know if it will be sufficient. So I'm going to store up some more outside of what you have given me. Stealing says, God, I know that you have mandated for mankind to work, to do honest work. But I don't like working. I don't like your plan, your pattern for how we normally obtain possessions. And so I'm going to steal rather than work for what I possess. Finally, stealing says, God, I know that you have given me yourself, the all-sufficient, all-satisfying God of the universe. You have given me yourself, but you are not enough. I want more. That's discontentment in God. That's what stealing is. It says, you are not enough. What you've given me is not enough. What you've promised for me is not enough. I don't want to work for it for what I get. Your plan isn't good for me. I'm going to go around you, seek another source of satisfaction, provision, and protection for my life. We are discontent with God. And I want you to remember this, by the way. We're not just talking about those bad people out there. The eighth commandment was given to who? Israel, the people of God. These are the ones whom God has just redeemed from their 400 years of slavery. He has just crushed their enemies behind their backs in the Red Sea. He has provided for them miraculously in the wilderness over and over again. He has guaranteed that they will inherit the promised land, a a land flowing with milk and honey. And most importantly, God has given them himself. Do you remember that? That before they even crossed the Red Sea, God was with them. In this pillar of cloud by day and fire by night, God was with them. So from an outsider's perspective, we'd say, Israel, you have God. You've been redeemed by God. You have these promises of God. You have the presence of God. What more could you possibly need? But we need to recognize again this same command is given to us, I think of just Ephesians 4.28, which we'll look at in a moment. Let the thief no longer steal. Let the thief no longer, that's in the book of Ephesians. Who was the book of Ephesians written to? Was it written to those wicked people out there? It was written to the church at Ephesus, and it was to be passed down to, to other churches, including us. The book of Ephesus was to be read and taught in churches, let the thief no longer steal. That's being spoken to the people of God, Christians. And so we think th- this is this is a draw that our flesh does. This is a draw that Satan does, right? He he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants us to say, God isn't enough. You need to take more. You deserve it. I mean, that's literally what he did in the garden. <laughs> the one thing that isn't yours to take, this one tree take it. It'll be good for you. Was it good? No, it was not good. It was robbing them. And this is where we find ourselves though, this draw of discontentment that says, well, if I just had a little bit more, maybe if I cheat on my taxes, I'll have just that little bit more I need to make me happy, to make me satisfied. What we're ultimately saying is I'm going to fill the void of God with stuff instead of God. What do we do? What do we do? If you're writing things down, this this may be helpful. I meant to put it on the PowerPoint. How do we turn from discontent stealers to those who are satisfied in God? It is this. Set your eyes on God. And seek contentment in God. Set your eyes on God. Seek the things that are above, not the things that are below. Set your eyes on God and seek contentment in him. This is how we overcome the sin of stealing. Look at how it's put in, in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews thirteen five. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Okay, so you just have a command. Well, I, just gotta, I guess I just got to stop loving money and be content with what I have, but I don't know how to do that. How? For he has said, I, God, will never leave you or forsake you. That is what is to help us not love the things of this world more than God. That's what's to help us be content with whatever God has given us is to remember that God has said, I am yours And I will never leave you or forsake you. We set our eyes on God and we seek our satisfaction in him. This is how we keep our desire for money and stuff at bay. This is where we find contentment by remembering we have the God of the universe and he is providing what we need. I I do just want to, to talk about this for a moment. God has never stolen anything from anyone. All God has ever done is given. (laughs) Everything God has ever created, provided, put in your pocket, put in your bank account, parked in your driveway is a free gift of grace from the hand of God. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights everything you have. God is a giver. God is a giver. And not only does he give us material possessions, but he again purchased, purchased our salvation by the blood of his son. God gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him might not perish, but have eternal life. Do you hear that? God is a giver. And so the way that we keep from discontentment is to look at the one who is great and who gives and gives and gives. And the most important thing is he gives himself right now and for eternity. And so the way that we fight love of money, love of stuff, discontentment, is to drink deeply of the all satisfying well of God so that we don't have that discontentment. We have rather satisfaction within us. We have this joy that we're, and we, so we don't need to seek it in other stuff. This is amazing. And by the way, God does do this right now, but you even have an inheritance. If you're a Christian, you are a co-heir with Christ, literally an heir of the world. And God is currently guarding for you an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, Unfading and full of glory. And this will be all given to you, experienced in the presence of God, in whose presence is fullness of joy, and at His right hand are pleasures forevermore. We look to God, we look to His grace, we look to His glory, and the things of this world grow strangely dim, and we don't desire them in the same way. We find contentment in God, so we don't need to steal. Now, I do want to take this one step further. Jesus often did that um, in, in uh, the Gospels. He'd say, you know, you've heard that it said. It's good that you're doing this, but. In fact, there was one man that came to Jesus and he said, well, what, what must I do to I- inherit the kingdom, to enter the kingdom? And Jesus says, obey the laws. He says, well, what laws? And Jesus lists the, the, the commandments, actually. The Ten Commandments doesn't list all of them, but a bunch of them. And then he says, I, I've done all these. And what does Jesus says? Well, love your neighbor yourself. Like this is, this is the tie Jesus had. He says, sell all your possessions, give to the poor and follow me. That's, that's how Jesus answers him to this man. Do you remember what that guy did? This, this rich young ruler who he says, what must I do to inherit the kingdom? Obey these commands. Okay, you've done that. Now sell, give to the poor and follow me. He went away sad for he had many possessions, the Bible says. So what I want to point out is it is possible to keep the letter of the law and yet your heart still be far away from God. I've done it. There have been times that I have kept the commandments with, uh, of God in a very uh, stoic way. And yet my heart was far from God. And so what we want to do as Christians who have truly been redeemed by God, saved by Jesus Christ, is we want to worship him. We don't want to just abstain from sin. We want to do the opposite of sin. We want to worship and enjoy God to the fullest. And so I want to give you this third and finally, the opposite of stealing. If we are commanded not to steal, I'd it's, it's, say for the Christian who truly loves God, who truly wants to glorify him, worship him, and enjoy him to the maximum, we seek not only to abstain, but to do the opposite. So how can we turn from the temptation to steal and see it as an opportunity for the worship and enjoyment of God? It's awesome here in Ephesians 4.28 how Paul puts this. This is the verse I quoted a, a little earlier about the new, from the New Testament, this same command. You see it up there. Let the thief no longer steal. So there's the command. Abstain. But rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. I want to just kind of show you the relationship there no longer steal rather work so that that's the opposite so that he may have something to share with anyone in need the opposite of sinful stealing is worshipful generosity it's, it's not saying I'm going to to, to leech off of others, be a parasite that sucks the, the, the resources out of other people. Rather, I'm going to create resources. I'm going to work so that I have resources to give. This is the opposite of stealing, and it is to be done in worship to God, to say, God, you have given me all these things. You've given me the hands to work and to produce and to provide. And now that I have a nut, what I need, I want to give to others to show again that these possessions do not possess my heart. 1 Timothy uh, 6, 17 to 19 says a very similar thing. This is Paul again. It's not uh, talking about stealing, but just in the context of of loving and, and hoping in riches. Here's what he says. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, it's prideful, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Again, I'm not going to break that one down quite as much as I did the last verse, but he says, instead of setting your hopes on the uncertainty, I mean, I love that word. You, you, if you set your hopes on right here, right now, possessions, in fact, I'll tell you, it's not even uncertain. It is certain that these possessions will fade away. It is certain that you cannot take them with you. They won't make you happy. They will break and then you die and then you leave them behind, you know, whatever it is, money, possessions. So don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. This is, he's eternal. He is forever. He is a sure thing. And he richly provides us with everything to enjoy because he provides, we are to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up Treasure as a good foundation for the future, that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Friends, generosity and God's desire for us to give is not to take away from us, it is to give more to us. Do you see that? That they may take hold, that they may store up, uh, what is it, for a foundation for, for the future. Treasure for themselves is a good foundation. God wants to give even more to you. And the way he does that, as it regards possessions, as he says, you give as an act of worship to me and you'll see I will outdo you. Now, I am pretty much the furthest thing from a health, wealth, and prosperity preacher. I'm not telling you that you put a 100 in that plate and you're going to go home and there will be a 1,000 in your mailbox. I am not saying that. But what I am saying is that you, you will reap what you sow. Uh, Jesus said, said elsewhere, you know, uh, it, what you give, it will be given back to you, pressed down, overflowing. That's the way he talks about it. He says, you know, you give a handful, I'm going to fill up a bag, I'm going to press that bag full of blessing, and it's going to still be overflowing as you carry it. That's what God Wants to give you. It is better to give than to receive, Jesus said. And and I, I think about this as well. God loves a cheerful giver. Oh, that brings delight to my heart. I'll tell you guys, giving generously has not always been my thing. <laughs> like I, I did not come out of the womb just like who can I share with? But God has really worked on my heart. Because he has shown me that that what is here, right here, right now, these material possessions, these are not what will satisfy. Rather, worship of the God who created all these things, that's what will satisfy. That's what sustains. That's what brings true life. And that's what shows his glory to the world. And so it's been a process in my life of of letting go, saying, okay, okay. I'll give 10% of my allowance, you know, as a kid, you know. And, and then, then later you start making real money. You're like, man, I, now this, this, this money, like it's gotten to be a lot of money. And there was that phase with me of like, now, now that I make this amount of money, am I really going to give this much? And, you know, so there was always this process. But then God kept on going, saying, hey, 10%, that's like, that, literally the word tithe means 10%. But then there was a time that, that God kind of showed me like, hey, you can live off a, a lot less than 90% of what you make. Oh, yeah, I guess I could. And, and, and then I saw the kingdom purposes. I saw the need for the gospel. I saw the need for discipleship in this world. And God's had to work on me. Guys, I'm, I, am, I don't want this to sound uh, overly bad as your pastor, but like God, it takes time for God to work on me to, to soften my heart and to loosen my grip on what has a grip of my heart. I, I, I tell you all these things, um, and, and it's, it's, it's interesting timing that we have landed on this eighth commandment right now. Because at our most recent uh, elders meeting, at the, the beginning of this month, we, we took a look at our church's finances. And um, it, it was startling, to, to tell you the truth. Uh, most of the years I've been here at Poplar Springs, the, the first four years I was here, we did amazing you guys gave generously, and, and our, our uh, budget was always met, and, and then some, and that's helped us, by the way. We've been able to put a new roof on. We've been able to protect the, the brick on the building, put new uh, HVAC, you know, um, air, heat and air in the, the gym. These, these are good things that God has provided so that we can maintain this, but, but I'll tell you, last year and this year, we are in some serious trouble. Last year, uh, we missed our budget by $30,000. When, when it was all said and done, we were, we were short $30,000. So that's just money that comes out of our bank account. We still have to pay <laughs> for things. Um, and so we were short $30,000 last year. But here, here's something even more startling. At this point uh, last year, okay, we, we can see what, how much money we had received as a church. And this is the year that we still ended up being 30,000 behind. We are currently 23,000 behind that. Do some simple math there. If, okay, we're halfway through the year, so double the 23, you know, 46 plus 30, that's $76,000 that we are projected to be behind. We, we, me and the other elders, we just look at each other. We're just like, what is going on here? And, and we don't know. We, there, there are tons of factors that can be brought into it. You know, job situations, we're still sort of on the, the, the heels of, of COVID and all the trouble that's brought. And rising prices. Uh, and, and even we've had some uh, rotation of membership, <laughs> if you will, of, of people who have left and people who have come. And, you know, um, so, so we're, we but here's my fear. I'll just, I'll just put it on the table. My fear is that since I have been here as a pastor these last four years, I've pretty much never talked about money. Maybe a couple times into the year saying, hey, help us make the budget. But I fear that I have not adequately taught us to worship God with our possessions. And that, that's a big problem. And that's on me. If, if that's the case, that's on me. Because our relationship with our possession is an indicator of our relationship with God. And I'm so not here to condemn, judge, or uh, anything like that, or to make anyone feel guilty. Rather, what I want to do is give you an opportunity, an opportunity to worship God, glad generosity. I know that every dime that comes into this place from you guys that gets put in these plates and comes in electronically, Myself and the elders, we do our absolute best to spend every dime for kingdom purposes, for discipleship and making more disciples. That is what we do. And so we believe this is, uh, not even believe, but we know this is a God-glorifying thing. This church is a kingdom purpose, a kingdom outpost on this planet. And so I just want to encourage you. And my wife and I, we've been talking about this ever since that elders meeting when I realized how bad we're doing We're looking at our own finances saying, what what could we do? How much more could we do? What can we make our regular giving become now? How can we be more generous, more sacrificial, and more joyful in our giving? And that's not because uh, Hallie and I are, are amazing people. It's because... We want to worship and enjoy the satisfying God of the universe. We love and believe in this church, and we want to see God do amazing things through it. Not just for the next couple of years while our money runs out from our bank account, but for, for the next 10 decades. We, we just want to see God do amazing things through you, in you, for his glory and for the sake of the gospel. And so I just want to, to encourage you with that. Do not steal Cease from stealing. Work as God has intended and mandated and be generous and ready to share. It is an opportunity to not only abstain from breaking the command, but to maximize your worship in God. Let's pray together. Father God, finances are a tricky thing. The fact that it bothers us to talk about and hear about finances shows what a grip it has on my heart and and, and so many of our hearts, Lord. We don't want to let go of possessions. We don't want to let go of money. But God, would you remind us that those things are not the true treasure, that those things, uh, moths will eat them, rust will, will, will eat it, and thieves will break in and steal. Lord, help us to remember what is true treasure. Pursuing your kingdom worshiping you with all of our lives and that includes our finances. And so God, we want to take this time right now to confess our sin of stealing. That we have been so discontent with what you've provided and even so discontent with you that we have chosen to take what is not ours. And even that we have chosen to keep what we should give. Lord, we are, again, thankful that none of this, none of this is meant to earn our salvation. Jesus has paid it all. You love us completely and entirely right here, right now. But God, though we aren't earning our salvation, we certainly want to experience it through obedience. Glad obedience through treasuring you more than the treasures of this earth. So, Lord, would you lead me, would you lead my, my friends, my church family here to worship you and enjoy you with our finances, with our possessions, Lord. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.